0: Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you the word of the Lord. So we are going to be in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, the big numbers or the chapter numbers, those little tiny numbers or the verse numbers. So have those open as we are going through this text today. Again, we have been in a series on the book of Ephesians. We're going to take about a two-week hiatus from that. We have a guest next week and then Easter after that, and then we will get back into it. But this is a seminal text, uh, not just in Ephesians, but in the Bible. So let us have our minds and our hearts open. And we can ask the Spirit to help us to do that. Let's pray. We are grateful for your holy word, O oh Holy Father. Would you now, by your Spirit, illuminate our minds, melt our hearts, and allow us to see what you would have for today? God, this text digs deep, and it likely will dig deep into areas of people's lives that they have not shown have not exposed for a long time. And that will be somewhat painful. And so I pray for them. I pray for me that we would be reminded of your great gospel, the care that you have in Jesus Christ for us, that you long for us to experience joy. You do not want to hurt us. You have not condemned us. Now in Jesus Christ, you want us to grow in joy. As we put on this new self, you long for us to be happy. So I pray that you would help us to do that today. Teach us, mold us, shape us, renew us to your glory by the work of the Spirit, with our eyes upon Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1999, in a remote Indian village, a woman named Gladys Staines sent her son and her her husband and her two sons off. They were missionaries there. Her, Her husband was named Graham, and her two sons... Eight and ten years old were Timothy and Philip. And out on their trip, they had to spend a night out in their car. The stains had been sent there by the Lord. They would say they were called to give their lives, to minister to the gospel, to the lepers. They were there for 34 years. But that night when the, her two children, two of her children and her husband were in that car, they learned the true cost of following Jesus. As the father and the boy slept in the car, a group of militant Hindus approached it. And while I cannot go into details this morning, they were killed in ways that I cannot understand, in a way that I cannot comprehend. As news of this hor- horrific event shocked the world, what was more, even more astounding was the response of Gladys. She and her daughter survived and News of, what, of, of her response got out to the world. While we would expect a mother, a wife, to respond to something like that with rage and deep bitterness, what this mother, what this wife displayed was something more incomprehensible than even the treacherous act itself. For she forgave them. She forgave the killers of her husband and her two young sons. She wrote of that night, When I learned that my family was dead, I told my daughter, We'll forgive them, won't we? And her daughter replied, Yes, Mommy, we will. And she had. It was not lip service, it was not just words. She has remained in India, taking up the mantle, taking up the gospel message, taking on the work of her husband to serve the same community, the same lepers, perhaps even some of the same people who committed that horrible act. She had not just forgiven them with her words, but in her heart. And so I ask you this morning, how? How is that possible? How is forgiveness like that conceivable? In the face of the worst injustice, I don't think I could imagine anything worse. She forgave them. Gladys Staines forgave them. And we must ask how. Because her case is not necessarily unique. Even though it may be extreme, we must understand that what she has done It's not something that she is great for. She did not do it out of the greatness of her heart. She would say that what she did was demanded of her, was demanded by her faith. Her faith in Christ led her to forgive the men who heinously sinned against her. What follows from this is that any Christ follower should do the same. Men and women who follow Jesus must forgive their offenders no matter how heinous the injustice, no matter if that person who committed the injustice tries to repay, tries to repent or not. Forgiveness is centrally important to the Christian life. On the one hand, its practice is so bound up with the Christian gospel that if you do not do it, if you do not regularly forgive those who wrong you, it could very well show that you do not have faith. But on the other hand, if you do not practice this regularly, if you do not regularly forgive, if you continue to hold on to grudges and bitterness, I can say certainly that you do not know peace. Many of you today are holding on to something, and maybe you don't even know it. You have been wronged. Truly wrong, heinously, seriously. And maybe you are bitter today. Maybe you are angry. Maybe you are without peace. I would just call you to this text this morning, as Paul does, to see and know again the gospel. To understand and enter into the freedom and joy that there is in forgiveness. It is not easy. It is is not easy, but really, is anything good easy? And this is one of the greatest things. We will forgive them, won't we? Gladys asked her daughter. And now that question is asked to us. Three points this morning as we walk through Ephesians 4 one, the suffering and forgiveness, two, the obstacles to forgiveness. And three, the joy in forgiveness. One, the suffering in forgiveness. Okay, look at Ephesians 4 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now let's try to remember the context. This is on a flow of thought. Sometimes when you're reading the Bible, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of difficult because often we should just read the Bible like riding a bike. You shouldn't stop because otherwise you're going to fall off. But we are at this point where we could fall off. So we got to keep the context in mind this morning. Last week, we saw that Paul is basically outlining the Christian faith. He's outlining what it looks like to walk in line with your salvation, in line with the, the, the newness of yourself. People have, been tr- have trusted on Jesus And they have been made into new creations, right? That's what we said. And so these people who are new creations are also at the same time becoming more and more like God himself. And so Paul uses the language of of putting off and putting on. Putting off the old self and putting on the new, new self. Last week we saw that we are putting off things like anger, lying, stealing, putrid, unhelpful speech. And in replacement of that, we are putting other things on like truth and righteous anger and hard work and words that build up, that bring life. And in all of this, as people in this new community, as we are putting on the new self, we are to be reminded of the Holy Spirit, mindful of his work and also of his heart. For if we sin, if we fall out of line with the gospel, we can grieve him. We can grieve his heart. But on the other hand, when we do, when we walk in line with what he has commanded, we know that he has been made happy. We are putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And then he drops verses 31 and 32 in our laps. It's almost like he did it on purpose. I don't know if he did, but it feels that way that he did this whole list and then he said, we need the Holy Spirit here. I need, to be, I need to have them reminded of the Holy Spirit because we are going to enter into deep waters now. To put on the new self, you must not just become a kind, tender-hearted person, but you must become a forgiving person. This is not just what you do, but who you are. You are forgiving. You are kind. You are tender-hearted. Is there anything as hard as forgiveness? Is there anything so hard in this life as forgiving those who have wronged us? I I would say that if you don't know the hardness of forgiveness, then maybe you've never really tried. Forgiveness is difficult. Forgiving our offenders, no matter really how bad the crime against us, is so difficult. And it's difficult for a good reason, because to forgive You are asked of you, there's so much asked of you. To forgive means giving so much. I don't think that we should be afraid to say that forgiveness is, in some sense, suffering. By forgiving someone, you are walking into suffering. It means to take on a certain kind of pain. And the reason that I say that is because of what forgiveness really is. So when Jesus ever talks about forgiveness, many times he would use this specific image. He used the image of debt, right? He even prayed it. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, he is not just talking about money there. When an injustice is committed against a person, when someone sins against another, an instantaneous debt relationship is formed. It is created. The person who has committed the sin now owes that person. And the person who has been sinned against feels as though they must get justice. They must get repayment. I have been wronged, and so now I must make them pay. Forgiveness, it comes around this debt forgiveness. When we are sinned against, the debt is created. A debt relationship is formed. So when someone cuts us off in traffic, what do we do? We don't wave and say thanks. We, use, we do something else with our hand. <laughs> we drive up and we cut them off ourselves. When someone takes credit for something we did, a project, our work, we maybe, maybe, maybe attack them directly, or we slander them behind their backs, or we just do what they did to us at a future date. When some, someone says something cruel about our kids we may right on the spot blow up at them. Or we may gossip about them to our friends. Or as is most often the case, at least in our culture, we just secretly sieve. We replay that incident in our minds over and over and think about the things that we should have said in response or the things that we'd like to say now. When a spouse cheats on us, when a spouse maybe makes us go through an awful divorce, our heart says, I hope something bad happens to them. We are trying to make them pay our debt. When someone wrongs us, the feeling inside of us is they must pay. They must pay, but there's something very specific about it. What we want is for them to feel what we are feeling. We want them to feel the pain that we are feeling. They must know the agony they have caused me, we say. This sin-debt relationship demands this. We must get repayment. When we are truly injured, emotionally or physically, we must exact revenge. They must pay for what they have done. Or we forgive them. There is no both and. You cannot make them both repay and forgive them. We either seek it all together or we forgive it totally. Understand that when you forgive, though, you are not just simply letting it go. That is why forgiveness is so hard. You're not just releasing that person. I'm just not going to think about it anymore. Understand that when you forgive, you are taking their debt load onto yourself when an injustice has been committed against you to forgive them means that you take their debt onto yourself that pain you keep it for yourself a few weeks ago i was at starbucks and someone came into the store and they said does anyone own a a silver ford fusion here because you just got hit i do So I got up and I went outside. The person was good; they had integrity. They were they were waiting for me, and they came out. and I, and I saw where it had happened. It was kind of a rub mark, but I got as I got down closer, I thought, "Oh, those could be some scratches." And I tried to rub them out, and I couldn't. And so we exchanged insurance information. I got her phone number, her address, and we parted ways. Now I had two options at that point. I could have called her insurance company. I could have got them to fix my car, and it would have made, of course, her insurance premiums go up. But I also could have let her off the hook. I could not, I could say, I'm not going to call. I'm not going to make her insurance premiums go up. I'm just going to deal with it. I'm just going to live with it. Now, I can tell you what I did. <laughs> now, you might disagree with what I did, but I did not call the insurance company. I just let it go. Now, I want you to understand something important about this. I actually did not just let it go, did I? I did not just say, whatever, fine, bygones. And that's because if you walk out to my car, and you get down on the side, it's on the left-hand side of the back door, you can still see some faint scratching there. Those scratches are now mine. The debt that she incurred, I took back on to myself. To have a forgiving spirit, to forgive mild to serious, up to to even heinous injustices requires taking on a debt that few of us are willing to. It is a sort of suffering and it goes deep. To forgive someone, I just want you to know, I want you to understand how deep it must go. To truly forgive someone means we must release them totally. We must release them completely. And I think that we see that in verse 31. We see what it looks like to be a forgiving person, to forgive a person totally. Listen to the verse again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. So let's just walk back in verse 31. Let's start, start with that word slander. Start with the word slander. Forgiveness means putting away slander. So when you forgive, you are giving up the right to slander that person. In other words, you cannot talk badly about them anymore. You cannot drag their name through the mud. You can't say, I've forgiven them, but let me tell you all the awful things about them. To forgive a person means that you put away your slander totally. Forgiveness means putting away clamor. You see that word there? Clamor. Clamor just means loud, brash talk, angry, harsh words. In other words, you don't freak out at people. You don't swear at them. You don't speak loudly to them and viciously tear them down. You have put that away. In your forgiveness, you are putting it away totally. And now you are speaking to them with warmth and tenderness. Forgiveness means putting away clamor. Forgiveness means putting away even your wrath and your anger. Your wrath and your anger. Now you remember what we said last week about anger. There is an anger that is righteous. An anger that is necessary. We should get mad at sin. But if you cannot let it go... If the sun goes down in your anger, then you know that you're sinning. When we fail to forgive, anger stays with us. It is a disposition. It is a burning, a raging. You just cannot believe that person did that to you. Maybe that word wrath is even more helpful. You are not only angry, but you want that person to suffer. Forgiveness means taking that and putting it away. You may have been angry at first. That was right. You should be. But now the sun has gone down and so has your anger. You no longer hope for that person to suffer. Forgiveness means putting away your anger and wrath. Forgiveness means putting away your bitterness. Now, we need to be careful here. We need to think deeply about this. Here's where we must search our hearts because it is so easy for us to look at those other things, slander, clamor, anger, and wrath, and go, I don't do those. That means I've forgiven them. But what about bitterness? Here is where many of us live Bitterness is what we often fail to let go of until the bitter end. And that is because bitterness is never expressed outwardly or very very often it's not expressed outwardly. It is kept secret in our hearts. It is a quiet seething. We may be able to say the kindest things with our mouths, but in our hearts we know we have not truly forgiven them. To forgive them means to let even our bitterness go. Tim Keller writes about this. Refuse to indulge in ill will in your heart. That is, don't continually replay the tapes of the wrong in your imagination in order to keep that sense of loss and hurt fresh so you can stay actively hostile toward the person and feel virtuous by contrast. Don't vilify or demonize the offender in your imagination. Rather, recognize the common sinful humanity you you share with him or her. Don't root for him or her to fail. Don't hope for their pain. Instead, pray positively for their growth. I'll tell you what, if you cannot pray for the person who has offended you, you probably have unresolved bitterness in your life. You must even let your bitterness go to be a forgiving person. And let's go over into the positive. Forgiveness means being kind and tenderhearted. So at the end of verse 1, Paul, 31, Paul says that we are to put away malice. He kind of encapsulates everything. He says, Don't do all these things, and especially don't have malice. And this means that we cannot think the worst of people. We cannot want the worst for people. The rubber of the idea of this, of, of the road of this idea, though, always meets our experience when we are called to forgive. Will you think the worst of people? Will you hope the worst for them? Only when you are in, an, in, a, in a place where you have to forgive someone, will you know that you truly do not have malice. Only when you are in a place where you could forgive or not, will you be able to tell if you have let it go. Only when you are in that relationship, do you have the opportunity to truly show if you can be kind and tender And listen, I am not saying that you trust them. That is not forgiveness. To be forgiving of a person does not, let them, does not mean that you can let them just walk all over you again or now. But you do act in kindness towards them. Forgiveness means being kind and tender hearted. And let's just recap kind of what we've been saying. To truly forgive we must take the debt of our offender onto ourselves. And that, that means we release all these things. We release malice and slander and bitterness. And we take on a spirit of kindness and tenderheartedness. And I ask you, friends, can you do that? Can you do that? Can you put on the new self in putting on forgiveness, even in the face of the worst injustices? Friends, where does bitterness linger in your life? where have you failed to forgive your brother your employer your friend who do you need to forgive two let's go to the obstacles of forgiveness the obstacles of forgiveness Ephesians 4:31 again let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another now listen As God in Christ forgave you, it is obvious that it is hard to forgive. It is tremendously difficult to let the offender, the sinner, in a sense, off the hook. We have this deep need to make them pay for what they have done. And the worse the sin, the deeper our desire to make them pay. And then Paul comes in and he says, here's how you're going to be able to do it. Here is how you are going to be able to forgive. It is not going to be from your own power, from your own grace and ability. It is going to be as you look to the cross of Jesus Christ, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The gospel is the reason that we forgive. It is the reason how we can forgive. And forgiveness, again, is so crucial to the gospel that Jesus says if you fail to forgive, you are not forgiven. A believer, if you can never ever forgive anyone for anything, it shows that you do not have faith. It is not that you can earn your salvation with forgiveness. That's not what I mean. But your forgiveness of others shows what you think and believe about the gospel. How you you forgive others proves what you believe about your own forgiveness. So what is Paul saying to us? Maybe to put it in the inverse, that our failure to forgive is ultimately a failure to fully believe and apply the gospel to our own hearts. Hear that again. Our failure to forgive fully, completely is ultimately a failure to believe and apply the gospel in our own hearts. Let me just unpack that a little bit. We fail to forgive when we forget our own need for forgiveness. We fail to forgive when we forget our own need for forgiveness. Usually when we're sinned against, what happens is we do this. We we get all angry, we get all up, and we, we think, I would never do what they did. I would never sin like they did. And what we have to understand is what we're doing is feeling a sense of Superiority. We are above them at that point. You can't forgive them because you can't imagine doing the same thing. You can't even imagine thinking it. And so you look down on them and they say, if that's the case, if I would never do that, then they don't deserve my forgiveness. But the cross tells us a different story. The cross tells us that Jesus, the divine son of God, he needed to die for every person, for all of humanity. And this means two things for us. First, we are more capable of sin than we realize. And second, we are far worse than we realize. Okay, so why do I say that we are more capable of sin than we realize? Do you remember when Paul said that I am the worst sinner? I am the worst sinner. He didn't mean that he had committed the worst sins or the most sins. He meant in part that without God, he could have become the worst. He could have become the worst of sinners without the intervening grace of Christ. That kernel of sin in his heart could have sprung up into a sin he had no idea he was capable of. And listen, we must believe the same thing. That is what the cross teaches us. Yes, we may not have sinned in the same ways. We may not have been sinned against in the same ways that other people have sinned against us. But the cross tells us that we could have. And so when we are sinned against, it is not a bad thing to be humbled. To be reminded, apart from the grace of God, I could have done the same thing. So what do I mean when I say that we are far worse than we realize? Remember, Paul said of himself, I am the worst sinner. And he meant it in the same way that the tax collector did in the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. The tax collector is standing off to the side. He has his head bowed. He's beating his chest and he says, I am the sinner. And he said that, why? Because now he was comparing himself, not to any other person, but to God. Before God, before the holiness of his creator, he knew how heinous his sin was. This may be the most important thing in forgiveness. We must remember always that when God forgave us, we were totally un. Deserving our sin against him, listen to this our sin against him was greater than any sin that could be committed against us. And yet, he came to us anyway, he offered his forgiveness anyway. And he says, Now you are to be like that. You will never forgive unless you believe that you need forgiveness. More than any other person needs the forgiveness of you. I heard someone say this week, Father, help me forgive my enemies as you forgave me when I was your enemy. Remember your need of forgiveness. Two, we don't forgive when we believe, when we do not believe that we have been forgiven. Hear that again. We don't forgive, we we have a hard time forgiving when we don't truly believe that we have also been forgiven. When you believe in the forgiveness of Christ, when you know your sin and you know that he has taken it all away from you, that he does not condemn you any longer, we know something amazing, that he loves us and that he is caring for us. We now have him as our identity. But if you do not know that, if you struggle to know the sweetness of your own forgiveness, then you are not secure in God's love. And you will be needy and insecure. You will not be able to at at any point withstand the, the sins of others. You will not be able to entrust them over to God. You will not be able to forgive them. Paul is saying, remember. Remember that Christ bore your sin at the cross. It is all gone, all forgiven. And now you are wealthy. You are wealthy. You have the riches of his inheritance. You have the very love of God. And listen, it is only the wealthy who can take on the debt of others, isn't it? It is only the wealthy, those who have so much, who can take on the debt of others. It will not sink us. It will not ruin us. If we are wealthy in God's grace, you will be able to forgive. Believe your forgiveness. Believe your forgiveness. Here's the last thing. We don't forgive because we don't trust the Lord. We don't trust the Lord. The great obstacle obstacle to forgiveness is that we believe deep down that we must get justice. We must be the ones to get repayment, to get payback. And so when someone tells us to forgive, it can sound absolutely crazy to us. If I forgive them, then I will let them off the hook. And I cannot do that. They must pay. But here's where the story of the cross is so important. Here's where the story of the gospel is so important. We know that by the cross, through the cross, we are not letting them off the hook. The cross tells us the story that God is going to deal with all of the injustice in the world. Either men and women will receive his covering forgiveness or they will reject him and be punished. Be reminded of the cross. You may trust the Lord even to hand over your offenders to him. Paul says in Romans 12, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Forgiveness does not let the one who has sinned against you off the hook. It hands them over to the Lord. In a sense, you are releasing them so that they may properly face and come to terms with the justice of Jesus. Those are the obstacles of forgiveness. But here's the last thing: the joy of forgiveness. The joy of forgiveness. The cross does not just teach us why and how we are to forgive. I think that it it teaches us something amazing, that it is worth it. It is worth it to forgive. When Jesus went to the cross, remember what Hebrews 12 said? It says that he went to the cross with the joy that was set before him. He did it for joy. He did it for joy, and I think that we must follow suit. We can believe that forgiveness is ultimately for our joy and for the joy of those who have offended us. Forgiveness is joy because it brings us freedom. It brings us freedom. It is such a stress to to hold the burden of trying to get justice. I don't know if you've ever tried to do this. To make yourself solely responsible to get justice is never ending. You can never make the offender pay enough. And it often makes you do things that are so unhealthy and destructive. But when you can forgive, when you can release them totally over to God, yes, it is hard. But on the other side of that hardness is freedom. Remember Gladys Staines. This is what she said about this. Forgiveness brings healing. It allows the other person to start life afresh. If I have something against you and I forgive you, the bitterness leaves me. Forgiveness liberates both the forgiver and the forgiven. That is amazing to me. Her heart is so caught up with the grace of Christ for the forgiveness that she has felt and experienced and known in Jesus that she can now seek the welfare even of those who have offended her. But that is, for, that is forgiveness, that is freedom, and that is joy. Forgiveness is joy because it also opens the possibility to restore any relationship. Hear this clearly. When we forgive, we open up the possibility to restore our relationships. Bitterness and wrath and malice, they are are so destructive. They are like raging fires that linger between two people, between two parties. The raging fire is not just their offense, it is also our bitterness. It is our bitterness and our failure to forgive. And so if we do not forgive, reconciliation is impossible. We put up the barrier. We put up the boundary. Never will I have a relationship with you. But when we do forgive, when that fire, when that part of the fire is extinguished, we open the chance for reconciliation. I have seen the most damaged marriages and friendships restored just after one party gave forgiveness. I'm sure you've experienced that. The giving of forgiveness heals. That is a joy. That is joy. Here's the last thing. Forgiveness is joy because it pleases the Lord. Forgiveness pleases the Lord. We have said all along that forgiveness is hard. And it is because it is one of the greatest things. And it is one of the greatest things because it is tied securely in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what John said. I am writing to you little children because, of you, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. God is the God of forgiveness. When he forgives, he is glorified. And so when we forgive, he is made happy. How do you think he responds when he sees his children become like Christ in this? How proud, how happy is he when he sees us lay down our need to get justice and we take on the suffering of another and forgive. Gladys Dane said to her daughter, we'll forgive them, won't we? And she said, yes, mommy, we will. Later, she writes how she was able to do this. This must be the truth that penetrates our heart this morning. She says, the truth is that I myself am a sinner. I needed Jesus Christ to forgive me because I have Jesus in my life. It is possible for me to forgive others. In other words, it was all of grace. She forgave only because Jesus was inside of her. And that is where we must end. You will not do this on your own. If you try to muster this up on your own, in your own willpower, you will not do it. You will not forgive. You will hold on to it. Your bitterness, your slander, your wrath. But I say in your bitterness, when you are failing to forgive someone, pray. Pray that God would help you. When you struggle to let go of the injustice done against you, cry out to him. May Jesus be your strength and your power. Friends, Freedom and forgiveness is possible, and there may be no greater joy that we experience on this earth. May you do it today. Let's pray. Holy Lord, now as we go to this table, we are going to be reminded of our forgiveness again. We are going to eat and we are going to drink, and as it goes down our throats, into our stomachs, we are going to be reminded that you have forgiven us once and for all, that you hold nothing against us. We who now believe in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. We are no longer your enemies. We are your adopted children. And so, oh Lord, I pray that as we are reminded of your forgiveness, that it would come down and shoot out horizontally. And it would go to our relationship. Lord, there are people here who are holding on to something they will not forgive. Impress upon them the greatness of your forgiveness. May they release them. God, there are people here and that means every single person here is going to be offended at some point. Someone is going to sin against them maybe in ways we cannot even comprehend. Prepare them now. Make them people of their new creation. Make them people of kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. And God, I pray that for this church, that we would forgive each other. That's where Paul is coming from. He wants the church to be united. He wants to see this people with tenderheartedness and kindness forgive each other quickly, wholly, and joyfully. God, may we be mindful of you now.